Welcome to Fountain Springs Church, and happy Mother's Day to the mothers in the house tonight. I, I am here, uh, we're actually in a conversation as a church called uh, Self-Talk, and where we're talking about our minds and our hearts and our souls, and Pastor David asked me to kind of come up and, and interrupt this to honor mothers. And so this whole weekend is about honoring mothers. And what I want to do is I want to tell a story about someone who I don't know if she was a mother or not, but she was amazing. And she she really understood what mothers know intuitively. And my hope is as we dive into this story that you as a mother, if you're not a mother, that's fine. You as a listener would go, ah, I see the truth of those things we're learning from this scripture. So the scripture I'm going to tell the story from is 1 Samuel 25, and it goes like this. This story is about David. Now, if you've been around the church for a while, you know David as a shepherd boy that grew into this warrior. David is the man who slayed Goliath in this amazing feat, and he becomes this warrior who then turns into a king. But there's this little-known story in 1 Samuel 25 where David really isn't looked at well. He's hiding in these caves with 600 of his warriors. And Saul, King Saul, the guy who sat back and didn't defeat Goliath, is after David. And David is on the run. And here's where we jump into this story, just so you have some context. David is in a cave near these two people who are married Abigail and Nabal. They are like the Bill Bill and Melinda Gates of their time. They're incredibly wealthy. They have everything they could possibly want. And in this story, what we find is they're shearing their sheep, which means it's a gigantic payday for them. Now, Nabal isn't the nicest guy in the world. In fact, he's known as kind of a hard, kind of a jerk, if you will. But Abigail is the opposite, and you'll see as the story goes along that she really has, understands people and has this compassion. So what happens in the story is David is hungry. You can imagine 600 men hiding in a cave. They're going sustenance. They're trying to do, just find what they can to eat and survive, and, and they're getting mad, and they're getting angry, and they're, they're, they want food. And so David has this great idea. Let me send my warriors down to talk to Nabal. It's a great time of year. He's partying. He's having people over to the house. Maybe we can just get scraps from his table. So what they do is they send, he sends some servants down and those servants approach Nabal. Hey, Nabal, just so you know, there's 600 of us up here and we've been watching over your flocks. When your shepherds have gone out, we've protected you without you even realizing it. We've been this invisible force to care for you when you didn't even know we were caring for you. Could you hook a brother up or some brothers up? And here we find this, that Nabal just completely goes the opposite direction. We don't see this coming, but Nabal basically says, who are you? I don't care whether you protected me or not. Go back to your, whoever your guy is and tell him no. So this is what happens. These men come back to David and they tell him, yeah. And David turns around to his warriors and says, strap your swords on. We're going after them. Now you have to understand David is a warrior He's on the run, he's angry, he's hungry, there's all this stuff going on, and he's wanting what's rightfully his. He's willing to kill for it. 
Now, this is not one of those like fairy tale moments. But Abigail catches wind of this. And when she catches wind of this, she loads a donkey up with a bunch of food. And she takes it to these warriors. She sends it on ahead, and they end up feeding all these warriors because she knows something intuitively, that men that are hungry are usually angry. Now, if they have swords in their hand, she also knows that I have to give sort of a peace offering, and then I can do this thing. So she jumps on her donkey, follows the food, gets off the donkey, respects David, does this incredible thing, and speaks this value to David that he doesn't deserve. This is David's kind of not good moment. And if we're looking at his life, this is one of those really, really bad days that is interrupted by a woman who understands some things that she speaks value to him where it wouldn't have been. Now, knowing that story, there's really three ideas I want to teach you today that come from this story. And the first one is the importance of food. Now, everything is better with food. We, uh, let's jump into the actual story at 1 Samuel 25, 18 and 19. It says that she wasted no time. Amen to all the women who waste no time on feeding people who are hungry. She loads up all the stuff. I'm not going to read it, but she basically throws a party for these guys who are going to murder her. And she gets there and she pushes them on ahead and she follows shortly after. What David's men were experiencing was this word we know in our culture, hangry. (laughs) Hunger plus angry. Now you go, okay, that's a really cool cultural reference or whatever. No, it's scientifically proven. What happens is our glucose level and our blood sugar drops. And what happens in our bodies is these hormones start to produce to try to get us back up into the good parts of life. But the downside to these hormones is it creates irritability. It's, it's a proven fact. And so hangry is actually a thing. So when your toddler is freaking out in the back of the car, screaming and yelling, mom usually goes to the husband or to whoever's sitting there, hey, it's okay, they're probably hungry or tired. That's not who they are. And usually, they will stop and get food to calm the child down, and then, boom, they're asleep like that. Moms know this. They know the importance of food. When we were uh, being trained in Texas as foster parents, my wife and I were in this class where there was a bunch of other people, and I was like, this, this class literally changed my life. The lady who, who led it got cancer recently and died, so... Rest in peace, Linda. But Linda was amazing. What she said was she pulled out this white piece of paper and she said, what I want you to do is the only, if you forget everything I train you on, I want you to go to Hobby Lobby and get a giant placemat. What I want you to do when a kid gets dropped off at your house, the first thing I want you to do is show them their room. And the second thing I want you to do is show them where they sit at the table. So she said, take a piece of paper, that's a placemat, and have them decorate it. Put their name on it, color pictures, put numbers on it, do stickers, do whatever it takes to make it theirs. Let them do it. It's not going to look awesome, okay? It's going to look like what they want it to. And then you put their name on the bottom or the top of the placemat, and you place that at your table, and you give them a spot at your table. And I was like, hold on, I'm pretty ignorant 
Real quick question. This is the most valuable information you foster trainer is going to train me. Tell me more. I have to understand this. I don't get it. She said, what happens, Ryan, is when you place them at that placemat, in their mind, this is the first time they've ever belonged somewhere. It's the first time they've had a spot and they can begin to identify themselves in your family. See, they don't look like you. They don't act like you. They often don't have the same rules or boundaries you do. But when y'all sit at the table, you are equal with them. And they are equal with you. And they look down and they see Annabeth and the squirrely, squiggly thing they got to do. And they go, oh, that's mom and dad. And this is where I belong in this family. And this is, and it starts to heal their heart. And I was like, oh, no. Like, I don't get it. I don't understand but we'll do it. So we got two kids right away, and that's what we did. We put them at the table with the placemat, and they begin to identify themselves. They were nutcases anywhere else, but when we sat at the table, they were like, here I am. I'm a part of the Callahan family. I'm a little Hispanic. I'm different than this ginger dude, but I know one thing. They're going to give me food, and I belong here. And that's, that's what happens at a table. That's what happens with food. And mothers know this intuitively because when you're running around and you're taking kids to dance and soccer and all these things, you often go, we've, we've eaten too many times in the car. We need to just press pause right now, get at a table where we can look eye to eye. So you go to Red Lobster or you go somewhere where you can actually sit down and enjoy each other's presence. It's not just foster kids that benefit from this. The science is all over the place. I want to actually read you a scientific study that talks about how important the table is. And it says this, students who do not regularly eat with their parents are significantly more likely to be truant at school. In fact, this study said that it's double the rate. So it's two times the rate. If a student doesn't eat with their parents, they don't belong, therefore they're not going to school. Because who's going to look after me? Who cares? Nobody. It goes on to say this. Children who do not eat dinner with their parents at least twice a week also were 40% more likely to be overweight compared to those who do. So what happens is to mask the I don't belong at anyone's table, they go to food and that food comforts them in a weird way. And then they experience this overweight feeling which makes the problem worse. But what's crazy is that same study said, on the contrary, children who do eat with their parents five or more days a week have less trouble with drugs and alcohol, eat healthier, show better academic performance, and report being closer with their parents than children who eat dinner, who eat dinner by themselves. So drug use goes down. It's not just truancy. It's this much larger thing. They're not overweight. They're not drug addicted. They're not looking for a coping mechanism because they belong at somebody's table. Now we often go, how can we get to the table five times or more a week? That's not the conversation. Get them to your table. When we invite people to the table, when there is food involved, it creates this connection with the people we're eating with. One of my favorite things as a pastor is to eat when I have a meeting. Not because I love food. I do love food, which is, yeah, anyway, whatever. 
But what I love is this connection that, that we can have. Yes, there might be mustard in my beard, but there's this connection that you and I are having over broken bread. There's a reason why Jesus at the Last Supper ate a meal with his disciples. There was this last connection they were having that only can happen at a table with people. And Abigail knew this, so she sent a feast ahead. And she knew that that was not only going to fix this anger situation, it was also going to connect them in a way that they wouldn't have been connected otherwise. The second idea we learn from this story is respect. Now, we find in 1 Samuel, I want to show you, it says, When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Emphasis, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. She did not need to do this. There was no reason David had, if you were looking at stature and position, David was down here, she was up here. But what she did was, when she got off the donkey, she switched roles with David and said, my Lord, person who's going to slay my family, stop. I will accept all the blame for this. I'm sorry that my husband back there is an idiot. (laughs) Don't do this. You're better than that. And when she did that, she changed stature. He leaned in. Now, I saw this the other day, a couple days ago, at Target. This kid was going nuts. And no, it wasn't mine, okay? But this kid was just flailing on the ground, making a scene, doing all that, the thing that kids do. And so I walked by, and I walked to where she couldn't see me. I'm like peeking through cereal, like trying to watch what's going to happen. Because I know instinctively that people are walking by her, judging her and judging her. And ju- well, if you just give them a spanking, that will all get sorted out. No. So I watched. I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, it's going to go one of two ways. It's going to go one of two ways, but i got to know this. And this lady gets down on her knees, looks at the child, and the child just, yeah, you're the worst, blah, blah, blah. Right, you know what I'm talking about, moms. She laid down on the ground because that's how low he was and looked at him and waited, gave that mom pause and said, are you done? Hold on a second. Now, we think it's a funny thing or whatever, whatever we think of that situation, whether she's a bad mom or a good mom, I go, that's, that's 100% what that kid needs. Why? She just dignified that kid. She just gave that child something that was better than, get up, you're making me look like a fool. Get up, you're better than that. No, 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 no. Hey, I'm on that level too, and we can both swim. We can do snow angels at Target. You're better than this. But guess what? I'm with you. No matter what you choose to do, I'm with you, and I'll lay down on the dirty ground with you because you matter that much. She was respecting this child, and all of a sudden it dignified the child. He got up. He stopped crying. He stopped throwing the tantrum. He didn't ask about the candy anymore. Mom got on the ground. That was cool. That was weird. What just happened? 
When we respect, we give dignity to the other party. In Finland, their, their prison system has been a mess for 35 years. What happened was they decided their, their crime rates were out the roof. Like everything was just not good. Like people were going back to prison even worse than, than America's numbers. I mean, it was just bad. And so the leadership got together and they said, we have to do prison work differently. So what they did was they designed rehabilitation centers. What they did was they stripped the bars away. No more bars. We're going to throw surveillance cameras up. Everybody gets a new outfit. Everyone's a client now. They're not a prisoner. There's some dignity there. I'm not calling you by your prison number. I'm calling you by your first name. And in return, you're calling me by my first name. Prisoners are going to now eat with the staff. There's going to be this humanity restored and this thing that happens that dignifies the person who made a mistake. Now, all of you are going, well, what about the rapist or what about this person? Like Semantics. I'm not trying to go there right now. All I'm saying is, even, let's say the person had a drug issue and they did drugs and then they deserve to, be, to take the consequence. Great. They're now in the prison system. What happens when that person goes, I know you made a mistake and so do you. There's this dignity that's restored that goes, you will pay your consequence because that's, that's how this world works. But after this consequence, I bet you can do differently. I bet you can actually become the person you've always wanted to be because most likely the reason why you did a crime in the first place is because you never sat at someone's table. You never belonged to anybody, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to belong to something that matters. And, and they weren't even talking Jesus. They're just talking human to human. What they found was they began to shut down prisons. Prisoners were not coming back to prison because something happened in that rehab with their hearts, their minds, their souls. They said, I'm better than this. I don't have to be that. And all of a sudden, they were dignified to become these new People. Now we see this in scripture all over the place, this idea of respect. In Matthew 7, 12, it says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets, the golden rule. What would you want someone to do? Let's say I'm I don't have a really good childhood and things are really messed up and people really just... Messed, messed me over, like did things that were not appropriate. And then all of a sudden I grow up and the only place I belong is in a gang. And the only place that I belong is in this, this horrid situation. And I join it because I want to belong, which is just a travesty. That gangs are more, are better cultures and communities of belonging than we are often. And here I find myself in the midst of this and I'm taking drugs and I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm doing stuff I know is wrong, but I belong for once in my life. And then I go to jail for that. Imagine I'm in jail with somebody who looks me in the face and says, this isn't who you are. Tell me your story. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Why did, you, why did you end up here? What is it about dignity, dignity, respect? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. The next verse, 1 Peter 3, 9, and I love this one even more because it really hits us home. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. 
See, there's going to be insults thrown at you. There's going to be people that cuss you out. But imagine you're at your workplace and someone cusses you out and you respond back to them with love and kindness. Oh, I need to take some steps back. I got real emotional. I yelled at you. I cussed at you. Wait, hold on. Why, did you, why were you kind? Why did you return a blessing for an insult? All of a sudden, we get to have a completely different conversation. Because I, I, want, I want you to clue into this. When someone's yelling at you or insulting you, they've been insulting themselves for a long time before that. This is not the first time they've thrown insult at people because they're self-critical. And that's the only way they can release this self-critical spirit. And what happens is when we return with a blessing, we're saying there's value beyond you being angry. I see you. I see your hurt. I see your pain. I see you, and I'm with you. And see, this idea of respect has to go with belonging. A place at the table, a respect. What happens is you belong and I see you changes who we are. Mothers know this and they do it so well. You belong, child, at Target. I see you. We are on the, on the ground together. And it dignifies who they are. The last idea that we find in this is the power of words. And to kind of bring this home, if you will, I want to read a letter. Now, if you've tuned me out from, from the beginning to now, tune back in right here and listen to this letter. Get angry if you want. It's fine. Dear Dad, it is with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with mom and you. I've been finding real passion with Stacy, and she's so nice. However, I knew you would not approve of her because of her piercings, tattoos, and tight motorcycle clothes. Also, she's much older than me. But it's not only the passion, Dad, she's pregnant. Stacy said that we will be very happy. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many more children. Stacy has opened my eyes to the fact that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone. We'll be growing it for ourselves and trading with other people in the commune for all the cocaine and ecstasy we want. In the meantime, we'll pray that science will find a cure for AIDS so Stacy can get better. She sure deserves it. Don't worry, Dad. I'm 15, and I can take care of myself. Someday, I'm sure we'll be back to visit you and Mom and show you all the grandkids. Love, Joshua. Favorite part of the letter. Zoom in. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Jason's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things than the school report card that's on the kitchen table. <laughs> Call when it's safe to come home. Now, you're all going, what is he reading? But Joshua understands that if he can get his dad super emotional, that the report card's not going to matter. Because words are like that. We use words all the time to tell stories and to do things and to move people and inspire people and do these things. And when we read that letter, we go, oh, yeah, I bet even the Fs aren't that bad. If, the, if it's that or this, like, I'll take this all day long. 
What we find in Abigail's story, and this is where I really want you to dive in. I'm actually going to teach these three verses, and I want you to see this part because without belonging and without this respect and dignity returned, like if we don't do this part, the other two really don't matter. And the scripture says this, please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. This is when Abigail gets off the donkey, she bows down, she says these, she's, she's in a position of uh, respect and dignity, and she says these words, forgive me if I've offended you. It's not her offense to even say. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty. David, I see a vision for you in the future that's this incredible kingdom and dynasty, and the Lord's going to give it to you. I see vision that you don't see. For you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. What she's doing is she's saying, this present moment is not you. I want to take you back, David, to when you were a young boy. I want to take you back to the field. When, when the next king was being anointed, you were still out with the sheep, which means you were forgotten by your family. Nobody cared about you. Remember that? Remember how God was taking care of you back over there? Don't let this moment, this present, forget you, for, make you forget about your past. She goes on. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you. Wait, David is going, hold on a second. How do you know that? Oh, because I've heard rumblings. I'm rich. I'm in the know. And there are people tell me things about what's going on in the kingdom that you don't know I know, but I know. And I'm telling you right now, Saul has come after you. And there was this moment, David. David, remember? David, do you remember when you were in the cave and that moment where Saul was using the restroom and you could have killed him and taken over? Remember when you didn't do that? Remember when your character was more important than that moment or that, that opportunity you had? Remember that? Don't forget that because that's who you are. Don't make a mistake right here that you would have never made back there. It goes on. Your life. No, we'll go back. Your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. Boom, she just hit him with the bullseye. She literally is saying this. Remember when you were a young boy and you would throw uh, stones at a rock and you're you were working on your accuracy and nobody cares, cared about you and your family, but you still protected your father's flock with all that you had. In fact, it's been said that you've killed lions and bears and you've done all of this with a sling. Oh, hold on a second. Real quick, David. When you picked up those five stones, you didn't need five, you just needed one because you did all that work over there. And then you gave faith to God. You said, God, you're mightier than this guy and I'm gonna take him down and you're gonna do it through me, young David, this boy. Remember that? Hey, your enemies, Nabal, my husband, who is your enemy right now, will be shot out like a sling. God's going to keep you safe. He's going to protect you. Have the same faith you had over there right here. She goes on. Because this is the best speech ever. When the Lord has done all he promised, 
and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me. David, 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 put the sword down. You are not this person. But here's, here's the crazy, she's saying it from the ground. David, you, you're better than this. In one fell swoop, Abigail is speaking to David's past, speaking to David's present, and speaking to David's future. And moms, you do this all the time. When I was a punk little kid, my mom would pull me to the side and she would speak value over my life. Did I deserve it? Absolutely not. But she would speak these truths over me. I called her about a year ago and I said, Mom, I remember when you would ask Grandma to pray over me when I was a child. Do you remember what she prayed? Well, why are you asking that? That's kind of weird. I'm like, because... Her prayers have shaped who I am. Wait, that can happen? Yes. Same thing can happen with words. Because when we give somebody a spot at the table and they have a placemat in our house, when they have a belonging in our house, when we respect them beyond what they deserve and we're on the target ground as a toddler and we're speaking value over them, we're showing them dignity, what happens is we at the table when we sit there and we look each other in the eyes, we have the opportunity, moms, dads, friends, brothers, sisters, it doesn't matter who you are, to speak to somebody's identity. And in one fell swoop, we all have the opportunity to speak to a past, a present, and a future because none of us are our past mistakes. Jesus took it all. And if Jesus took it all, then we can tell other people, guess what, you've messed up. You kind of screwed our family up, to be honest with you, but I love you in spite of it. You matter in spite of it. It doesn't matter what you've done. I erase it because God did that for me, and that, that's the only thing I can do. Moms, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for feeding us, respecting us, and using your words to guide us. Because when you do this, you are raising up Davids. You are raising up warriors. You are raising up children that honestly couldn't do it without you. I realize who I'm speaking to. I realize that not every situation in the room is this golden, amazing, we're going to sit over dinner and have this great conversation. I realize there are fractured relationships in this room. But why would we try to ignore it? For years, I was in a bad place with my mom. You know what it took? One phone call. It took one phone call. Mom, I'm an idiot. I'm so sorry. I've messed this whole thing up. Can you come? Can we talk? Can we work this out? We sat down at a table and we ate a meal together. And we said words to each other that mattered because we both matter beyond what the situation is. I know it's Mother's Day. Well, I haven't talked to my mom in 25 years. It's time to talk to mom. It's time to make a phone call. Oh, I can't make a phone call. That's too, that's too embarrassing. Great, guess what? You're going to get a card on the way out. It says Happy Mother's Day on it. It's blank on the inside. 
Imagine if mom opens this, let's say a week from now, and mom gets a letter that says, wow, I can't believe they would say that. Well, mom's long gone, Ryan. You don't, you don't understand. Great. I guarantee you there's somebody in your life that you need to say words to, and it may not be your mom. What a great opportunity to get to say stuff to people we need to say stuff to. My son the other day, I'm done after this. My son's been in a weird funk lately. He's a five-year-old little boy, and he has tantrums, and he does some crazy stuff. But... I got down on my knees because I learned from that target mom and I was like, okay, let, let me be human here. And I got down on my knees and I said, buddy, what's going on with your heart? You know, he said back to me, five years old, he said, dad, termites are eating my heart. I said, that makes sense to me, bud. Why does that make sense to me? It makes sense to me because I've seen the behaviors of a heart that termites are eating and I see that. Sylvester, buddy, I see that. So when you say those words, I go, well, how can we get the termites off of your heart? There's humanity in that. I go, I'm not going to ignore the behavior. You can't punch the neighbor. But, like, let's work on the actual issue. Some of you have to work on the issue, and Mother's Day isn't this fun, awesome thing. So do the work. Can you imagine if you were actually in relationship with the person that you've walked away from? For those that are in good relationship, man, give mom and get her a back massage and a, and a pedicure and manicure and take her to Fuji Steakhouse or wherever she likes. But let's do some work this Mother's Day. Let's walk out and know that the challenge is for all of us. That we have the opportunity to help people belong. We have the opportunity to see them. And we have the opportunity to speak to their identity. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we realize, I realize as a pastor, that it's so much easier to say things like forgive. It's so much easier to say, just write them a card or make a phone call. I realize that it's way harder than that. But you asked us to do the hard things. See, forgiveness for you was a difficult thing. You went to the cross to forgive. And so God, this, this Mother's Day, I pray that we as individuals would say, you know what? Let me own my part. As hard as it may be, let me own my part. Let me walk in freedom. Because the minute individuals decide to practice what you've taught us, God, it's, there's freedom there. And I pray, God, that we would be a community that leans into that and that we would be people that are focused on your best. And your best is found at a table with food and people. We love you, God. We honor you. May this all be for you and about you. As we live our lives out, may we point back to who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things uh, that, as Pastor Ryan was talking, that strikes me is, is just that idea of influence and respect. And sometimes I think we try to gain influence and respect with ways that just don't work. They're difficult because it, or maybe we think they're too hard or it's too difficult to, to engage in a way 
to get a response. But if we are willing to press in and, and do something simple like grabbing a card as you'll get on the way out and writing down words in a way that maybe you've never written them down before and maybe you need to because you know you'll mess up. That's fine. Take a second one. But what I know is I think, as Pastor Ryan said it perfectly, like words are powerful. So I pray that this week you'll use your words that will be amazingly powerful. And you know what else is powerful? A picture with your mom. Maybe she's not here. Go smile anyway and take a picture and you can send it to her on social media. Or maybe she's here and she's been begging you for a long time for a picture. Just, just make her night. Come on, this is good stuff. You guys are awesome. Thanks for pressing in. Thanks for being here. We'll talk to you guys soon. Have a good night.